0: Was our host team, our pastor in the buckets? I want to invite a couple that many of us know and love out to the stage. This is Jonathan and Dana Sutton. Can we welcome Jonathan and Dana? Yes. Now here, uh, here's the reason why these guys are out here. I was trying to think of a couple that we could bring on stage and interview this morning about compassion. Um, again, Compassion International, this amazing organization that goes into very impoverished countries, third world countries, all over the world, find kids who need hope, who need help, who are dying from preventable causes, And they want to not only care for them physically, but they want to provide the gospel, the good news of Jesus to them so that they can also know spiritual life. And so I was thinking of a couple um, who's someone in our church who sponsors a Compassion Kid right now. And why don't we bring them on stage and talk to them and ask them about their experience. So that's what we're going to do. Um, So I just want to hear from you guys. We want to hear from you guys. First off, what led to the decision for you guys to adopt, sponsor, whatever you want to call it, a Compassion Child?
1: Um, Well, actually, I was at a concert when I was 15 years old and there was a compassion table a long time ago. (laughs) And I saw um, this little sweet little boy and his name was Daniel and he was three years old. And so I picked up the packet and with my Chick-fil-A money (laughs) from my work, um, I ended up sponsoring him and I would write letters back and forth to him. And so I was first aware of compassion during that time. Uh, Later on, my parents, when we got married, they really wanted to take over the sponsorship. and so. But that was my first introduction to Compassion.
2: Yeah, and I had known about it and heard about it, and I knew that we were supposed to be doing it. And I came up with a lot of excuses and pretty lame excuses on why we couldn't or shouldn't or whatever. So finally we just did. I was at a conference, and they had a table set up, so I was like, you know what? We just need to do this. And so we did, and I have a picture. Pedro is who we've been sponsoring for about four years now. He's got three siblings, lives with his mom and dad in Guatemala, a very poor community. Most of the people there are unemployed or they work on farms. And, uh, you know, Compassion puts a, a student center there uh, to do sports activities with them, teach them about hygiene, important hygiene stuff. And, man, just just love on them and tell them there's a God that loves them and, and teach them the Bible. Awesome.
0: Well, uh, maybe you're sitting out there and you go, Jonathan, Dana, how do you guys know so much about Pedro? One of the cool things that happens when you adopt a kid through compassion is compassion sends you regular updates to tell you what's going on in the life of your child. But not only does compassion do that, you actually are able to correspond directly, write letters with, send pictures back and forth with the child that you sponsor. So you get to hear directly from them. So um, with that in mind, I just want to ask you a couple questions. One, What have the updates and the letters that you've received from Pedro through Compassion, what impact has sponsorship made on his life and maybe even the life of his family? And then secondly, what has providing a sponsorship for Pedro, what has it done to your family, maybe even your kids as well?
2: Yeah, for him, obviously, he, he just loves seeing that, you know, we have four kids, and he loves hearing from our kids. They t- talk about sports and everything. And, and by the way, before I forget, they if you're lazy like me and, you know, you don't even want to write a handwritten letter, you can go online now and just do it, and they translate it for you. So for all the lazy people out there, that's for you because um, that's what I do. I just type it up now and, and send it. Um, but man, you know, I, I asked myself that. I was like, you know, is this really making a difference? It's thirty-eight dollars a month. I mean, is it even getting to them? Is it is it helping? And about two years ago, I read a blurb that in his community, the average family income for one month is between thirty and forty U.S. dollars, and it, it just it floored me. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! So we're doubling their income each month to help put food on the table, and, and we are, and so. So, man, that's the impact it's making on them, and it's, you know, next to nothing for us to do that. And the impact on us is it just, it puts feet on what uh, our kids are learning here at the church and what we're trying to uh, teach them at home about being generous and about how a God, our God is a God of all nations. And so, man, it just, it makes it tangible for them uh, and just puts feet on what they're learning. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Well, last question, what would you guys say to those of us in the room this morning who you know, maybe we walked in, we didn't know it was Compassion Sunday. Maybe we're kind of skeptical of organizations like this because we've seen them on TV and we don't really get what they do fully. Um, what would you say to all those in the room this morning who are here and they're not really sure whether or not they should uh, sponsor a kid through compassion? They're not sure the impact it makes. What would you say to all the people here?
1: Well, um, in 2010, I went on a mission trip to Thailand. And when I was in Thailand, there was a local pastor and his wife, and his wife's name was Molly Wan. And somebody came up to me and they said, you really need to talk to this lady because she was a compassion child. And so I've seen the longevity and the consistency of sponsoring Daniel and seeing him actually graduate the program and with Pedro, but it was so amazing to go over to a different country and see there on the ground, Molly Wan, who is a spitfire and in love with Jesus. And in Thailand, where less than 1% of the, the country, our believers, she was on fire for God. And so in her community, the difference that she was making, and so it's just not only a financial provision or a health issue, it is also, um, you are spiritually impacting those countries because they're learning about Jesus, they're going out, and she had graduated, went to seminary, and was on fire for telling the Thai people about Jesus.
2: I think uh, the stats can be overwhelming. We just see the great need, the millions of kids and families um, uh, you know, that, that just have uh, spiritual needs and physical needs, uh, but I heard a phrase not too long ago that has just really impacted us and why we continue to do this, and that is, you know, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I mean, I wish we were in a position where we could just gather up hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of them and just immediately take care of their need. but. If, if we can just do for one what we wish we could do for everyone, and if all of us would do that, then it just makes a great impact. And, and once again, $38 a month, I mean, that's just, you know, it's us going, not going out to eat once or something. So it's just it's an easy first step. So we just encourage you to do it. Awesome.
0: Thank you, guys. Can we thank them for being up here? Awesome. Alright, well I'm going to ask you if you will, get your Bible with me. or If you have a device with a Bible app on it, get it. Let's go to Matthew 25 together and uh, just hold your place there. We'll get to it eventually. Uh, Over my time in ministry, I have been very blessed to be able to travel to several countries around the world. I've been able to go to Peru, Brazil, Nicaragua, Jamaica. I've spent a little time in Mexico, Belize. I even had the chance to go to Israel back in 2000. And in 2008, I had the opportunity to travel to Africa for the first time, a little country there that Westridge has partnered in for about the past five years called Burkina Faso. And I'll be honest, I didn't really know what to expect before I went. Part of me just kind of assumed that this trip to Burkina was going to be similar to what I had experienced In other parts of the world, but as I was there and as the week unfolded, I started to realize that this little country in West Africa was different than any of the other countries that I had stepped foot in. Like I saw things and I heard things in Burkina that I had never seen or heard in the other places That I traveled, and each day that passed brought with it new realizations that this little West African country was desperate for hope in ways that I had never experienced before. And I'll share some stories and some pictures with you so you can understand what I mean. Um, Shortly after we arrived in Burkina, uh, we heard this statistic from our missionaries on the ground. He told us that one in three children in Burkina will die before the age of 10. One in three. And they die from very preventable things, things like lack of clean water, uh, malnutrition, preventable illnesses like malaria. If a child in Burkina gets malaria from a mosquito bite, it only takes about two or three dollars to cure the illness. But as our missionary told us, the majority of families in this country are so poor that they don't even have the two to three dollars that it costs to purchase the medicine to cure their child of malaria. So many children are dying because their families just can't afford to buy what they need. Um, We heard that parents all over the country are regularly selling their children into slavery, not because they want to, but because they believe their child will have a better chance at living as a slave in someone else's house than they would living in their own home. We heard that in a population of over 17 million people that the unemployment rate is right at 80%. 80% of the country doesn't work. The 20% that do, listen to this, bring home an average salary of $300 a year. Not a week, not a month, $300 a year. That means they are living on less... Than a dollar a day. So the majority of the country, because of that, they depend on agriculture to live and survive each day. Now the problem with farming in Burkina is simple. Um, This country sits right on the southern portion of the Sahara Desert, so growing food and getting access to water is really, really tough for these people. Our missionary told us that food and water is such a problem in Burkina that many families are forced to pick and choose which children in their family they're going to feed and which children they're going to let die. Parents, think about that for a minute. Think about being forced to look at the food you have in your pantry and go, I can only afford to feed one or two of my kids, and so the other kids, they're just going to have to starve to death. That's a reality each day for families in Burkina. When I heard that, it was one of those things that I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's crazy. It was hard for me to process, and then I saw it. I'll show you a couple pictures to show you what I mean. Let's throw the first picture up there. We went into this village one day to talk to a pastor about putting a well in his village for his people and for the opportunity to to reach more people. Well, we're sitting in the courtyard of this church with the pastor, and we see this little boy. He's one of the pastor's sons. And you look at a kid like this, and you go, man, it looks like he's pretty well-dressed. It looks like they fed him well. He's pretty taken care of. His skin looks good. Uh, And then we see this other little boy. Running around in the courtyard, and this picture doesn't even do it justice. This little boy, um, he was covered in dust from head to toe. He had no pants on. His shirt had holes in it. He had snot plastered all over his face, swollen belly due to malnutrition. And you might be able to see it a little in the picture, but this four to five-year-old little boy literally had clumps of his hair missing because it had fallen out due to the fact that he hadn't been fed correctly. And our missionary looks at us and he said, you see those two boys, the pastor's sons? He said, that's what I'm talking about. He said, the pastor has so little that he's feeding and taking care of the one son and this son will die soon because they just don't have what it takes to care for him. Um, Village after village we went to, we heard that the number one need in Burkina was water. Water. I think it's easy for us here in America to take water for granted because we can go into the bathroom or in the kitchen and we can turn on a faucet and we can get water anytime we want. Like it's really easy for us here to forget that water truly is life, that if you do not drink water or drink clean water, that you will die. For people in Burkina, they get this. And they get this because they're watching people around them die every single day, many of them their own children, because they just don't have clean water to drink. They don't have the luxury of going to a faucet and turning on the faucet to get water. You know what they have to do if they want water? They have to dig a well. And let me tell you about what's so difficult digging a well in Burkina. A few things. One, the ground is very rocky and very dry and very tough. So it's hard to get through it. Secondly, these people don't have access to drills. So you know how they have to dig water? They do it with their hands. And sometimes these people have to dig 100, 200 feet to, to reach water. Now, the problem with hand dug wells is simple. After a while, these wells will dry up. And these people are left searching for water again. And man, we're going village to village, meeting these people who are going, we have this well, but it dried up. We have this well, but it's not producing. We have this well, but it's getting ready to not produce water anymore. And we saw this need, man, everywhere we went. There was a village we went to called Kira, and I'll show you a picture of it. This is Kira. If you go, to me, go with me to Burkina, which we're gonna take a trip later this year out of this church, our first trip ever to West Africa, And you go into these bush villages. This is what every single one of them looks like. It's very dry, very arid. Everybody lives in mud huts. There's nothing there. So we go into this village called Kira and we're meeting with a man named Pastor Jacques. And this is Pastor Jacques there standing uh, right next to the well. And we talked to Pastor Jacques about what was going on in their village as it related to water. And he told us one of our wells is broken. It doesn't work anymore. And the well that we're standing at here with him, he said, this well is getting ready to dry up. And Pastor Jacques, he took us around his entire village To show us his people and homes And he took us all the way back around to his church And by the time we got back to his church building There were literally hundreds of Burkina people there with us And here's what he says to us I've shared this story before He looks at us Americans And he said, we have no voice And then he points at us and he says You are our voice And if you do not speak, we will die and that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, I mean, I remember um, getting in the car, driving from village to village, just going, this isn't right. It's not right for people to live like this. It's not right for me to know about this and to not do anything about this. I mean, I wrestled, I struggled with all this physical need that we saw in front of us. But on top of that, we started hearing about the spiritual need. Um, the, majority in the, the majority of people in this country uh, are either Muslims or they're animist, which means that they worship nature. Everywhere we went, we were told about witch doctors and we saw witch doctors and met some witch doctors who literally keep millions of people in this country very fearful, very spiritually oppressed. There are regular reports, and I know we don't get this because we're Americans and it's comfortable and it's easy here, right? But there are reports of witch doctors literally performing miracles and invoking curses on people that lead to illness and death, insane stuff. We find out that in Burkina alone, there are 27 unreached people groups. That means these people have no access to the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And so you've got hundreds of thousands of people in this one country in the world who are suffering in extreme poverty every single day. They have absolutely no hope in life, and they have absolutely no hope in death because they've never even heard the name of the one who can give it to them. Now listen, I came back home, and I was messed up. Like, I mean, you can ask my wife. I came home, and my wife thought I had lost my mind. I mean, I walked in the house, and we got to get rid of this, we need to sell this, and I can't believe we have this, and why are we wasting money on this? And this is dumb, and this is dumb, and we got to throw this away. And we, You know, I, I was just there in that place. You know, my wife was like, I'd really like to keep my car, okay? So calm down a little bit. But, man, it messed me up. Here's why it messed me up, because when I came back from Burkina, Like I realized that so much of the stuff I had and so much of the money that I was working for, um, it was all for me. That I was doing very little with what God had blessed me with to take care of other people who didn't have what I had. Not because of their own choice, but listen, just because they were born in a different part of the world than me. I realized as well that there were people in this world, tons of people, I'll tell you more about this later, who'd never heard the name of Jesus and that me, James, I had done very, very little to get the name of Jesus to them. There was a passage of scripture from Matthew 25 that became so real to me than it had ever been before after I got back from this trip and uh, we're gonna read a portion of it together. But Jesus, this is Jesus himself talking and he's describing what's gonna happen here on the earth when he returns to the earth for a second time. And you know why I love Jesus? It's because it keeps things really easy for us as his followers. Really, really easy. Don't miss how easy this is, all right? Here's what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. I want you to picture this with me. Just picture a day when you're kind of going about your normal life, and all of a sudden the sky peels open and here comes Jesus with a hundred million angels and he sets up his throne on the earth this is what he's describing and Jesus goes on and he says when that happens he's going to gather all the nations before him and he's going to start separating people he's just going to start moving people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll place the sheep on his right the goats on his left and then he's going to say to those on his right listen to this come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world listen to this I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me in I was naked you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me and the righteous will answer him and say when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sicker in prison and visit you? And then Jesus, the king, will answer them and he'll say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here's the point Jesus is making. He's making the point that the hopeless, the broken, The poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the stranger, those imprisoned, those who are left to their own um, circumstances with no help. He's trying to make the point that those people are very near and dear to his heart. That he loves those people and he wants them to know the hope that he can offer them. And he's making the point as well that if you and I know him and we love him and we're his followers, that those same people should be near to our hearts That we should give food to the hungry. Why? Because we love the hungry. And we want them to know the hope that we have in Jesus. We give drink to the thirsty. Why? Because water's life and it gives us an opportunity to share about Jesus who is the living water. We want to invite the stranger in. Why? Because Jesus has done that for us, man. We were strangers and enemies of God. He invited us into his family. We want to go to the sick and those in prison and we want to tell them that there's good news about a God who loves them and wants to set them free, not only in life but also in death. And why? Because Jesus has done that for us. He set us free from spiritual bondage. When our sin had us spiritually dead, Jesus brought us back to life. And he's going, man, go do these things in very real and tangible ways for the least of these people who don't have access to these things and let those things serve as opportunities to share the good news about who I am and what I've done for people. You see, if we know Jesus and we love Jesus, the same people who are near and dear to his heart should be near and dear to our hearts. And Jesus is saying, man, that's what being a follower of mine should look like as you live in this world. Now he goes on. And I want you to listen to what else he says. Picking back up in 41, he says, after he's said to those on the right, come into my kingdom, it's yours. He'll say to those on his left, depart from me. Depart from me into the fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And these people will say back to him, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, as a stranger, naked, sick, in prison, and didn't minister to you? And then Jesus says, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. You know what Jesus is trying to say? He's trying to say there's no way in the world that you can love me and be my follower and ignore all of these hopeless, broken people who need what I have to offer them. You see, we can't be the church that knows what exists in our world and we sit back with arms crossed going, eh, let somebody else do it. No, Jesus is going, that's why I put you here. Might have heard time and time again people say things like, if God loves people, why does he let them live in poverty? Um, if God loves people, why does he let them experience injustice? If God loves people, why would he let them die without ever hearing the name of Jesus? And here's how I always respond to those questions. I say, i got to imagine God's asking the same thing about us. You're my church. You're my people. I left you here to carry hope to the world. Why are you letting people live in poverty? You can do something about it. I bless you to bless others. You know the name of Jesus. Why aren't you carrying it to the world and sharing who he is with people who have never heard his name? Church, that's why we're here. We're here to do what Jesus would do if he was still here in the flesh. We are his people and we have to be about his business. Now, listen, of course we have to do these things where we are, right? Of course we have to do this stuff in Bartow, Paulding, Polk, Cherokee, Cobb, wherever you come from. We have a responsibility to do these things for people in our own backyard, but we cannot miss that we also have a responsibility to do this for people all over the world. Jesus himself told us in Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world. You know what that means? It literally means all nations, all peoples. Go to all nations, all peoples, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Let me give you some really staggering statistics. All right, listen to this. Do you know that right now, in our world, there are 7,162 unreached people groups in our world? Listen to me, that is 2.8 billion people who have no access to the good news of Jesus Christ. Over two billion people who wake up every single day and the majority of them have never heard about a God who loves them and wants to give them life and he wants to give them eternal life. And some of these people, the majority of these people, live in the most impoverished areas of our world. They don't have churches to gather in like we have. They don't have Bibles in their own indigenous language. They don't have resources in their language to learn and read about Jesus. Over two billion people who have no hope in life or death because they've never heard the name of the one who can offer them those things. So listen to me, church, we can't, and I know I've said this, I'm gonna say it again, we can't be the church who knows that and does nothing about it. We have to act and we have to start acting now. So let me tell you about some dreams that God's put in my heart and some things that we want to do together as a church. Uh, First thing, I've been telling you over the last several weeks that we want to adopt an unreached people group together as a church from Burkina Faso. We want to just start investing in, pouring resources in, sending teams to serve. One of those 27 groups in Burkina Faso who have no access to the good news of Jesus Christ, many of which who have never heard his name. And so this morning, I'm happy to tell you that we've chosen a people group. And I would encourage you to write this down, make a note of it. But the name of our people group that we're going to start working with in Burkina, they're called the Dogase people. D O G, like dog. O S E. The Dogase people. If you go on to JoshuaProject.net, and in the future, um, we're going to have printouts with all the info about these people on them hanging out at our connection desk. So you can grab one anytime. But if you go on to the joshuaproject.net and you will look up Dogose, D-O-G-O-S-E, it'll bring these people's information up from Burkina Faso. This is a people group of about 40,000. And right now, there are only about 300 known Christians within this people group. That's less than 1% of this people group who claims to know Jesus. The other thing I wanna tell you about is this. In November we're going to take our first ever trip to Burkina Faso from this church, and we're going to meet these people face to face. We're going to go and serve them, and we're going to spend time with them, and we're going to talk to them about how we can partner with them to plant churches, to drill wells, to give them resources so that they can spread the good news of Jesus Christ to their entire people group. And listen, look at me. Some of you, you need to go with me. Some of you, you need to sign up. As soon as sign up start, you need to go with me. I imagine that there's probably a few of you in the room, maybe a lot of you in the room. Something's going on inside of you right now, and you go, You know what? I think I may need to go. And you're going to try to talk yourself out of it. I promise. You're going to go, well, I've got to take 10 days off from work. Um, it's $3,000. That's a lot of money, isn't it? But listen to me work will be here when you get home. You can ask sponsors for money. And if God wants you to go, he'll supply every bit of what you need to get there. Do not be scared. And if you believe you need to go, you need to go with me across the world. And you need to be a part of the very first team that goes and starts pouring into these people there who have never heard the name of Jesus before. Um, Another thing that we're going to do is we're going to get more intentional than we've ever been before about work all across the world. My philosophy when it comes to world missions and world care, it's very simple, okay? I'd rather pick a handful of countries and us invest heavily into those places through teams and resources so that we can be a part of making a big difference rather than picking like a ton of countries and only be able to do a little here and there. And so one of the things I've been praying about is, God, give us some countries. Give us a few countries to start investing in. And without a doubt, we're going to keep investing in Burkina. We just have to. It's one of the poorest countries in the world, and they desperately need people to serve there. So we're going to keep serving there. Um, We're going to keep going to Nicaragua. We just sent our first student team from this church to Nicaragua just a few weeks ago. Nicaragua is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere behind Haiti. There's a lot of need there, and we love our friends in Nicaragua. So we want to keep investing there, sending teams there. and uh, and supporting churches there. Right now, I'm praying about some places in South America. Um, I'm praying about Peru, Bolivia, or Brazil. And I want you to pray about that as well. I'm hoping to take a trip soon to go check out ministry on the ground and hopefully get some more clarity. And I'm just now starting to dream about what it may look like for us to partner somewhere in the Middle East or in Asia. And here's why. Because the majority of the unreached people groups in our world live in those areas. And I just cannot be okay knowing that there are billions of people in that part of the world who don't know Christ and us not doing anything about it. And so I'm just asking you, pray along with me. In 2014, we're going to roll out a lot more opportunities in front of you to take trips and actually go to some of these countries with us. So start praying about that, and I want several of you guys to go. And then lastly, um, we as a church, we want to commit to sponsor kids all over the world. This is the easy part. All right, this requires very little, but it makes a huge, huge difference. And again, we're going to give you the opportunity to take this step before you leave today. For years now, um, Westridge Church has been partnering with Compassion International. And I'll tell you a few reasons we love compassion so much, okay? Uh, We love Compassion because they are committed to the local church in amazing ways wherever they work, okay? Compassion refuses to start a Compassion site unless it is attached to a local church. So they will actually go into a village, identify a church to work with, and they give that church the responsibility of finding children in their village who need to be sponsored through Compassion. So these churches will come back to Compassion. Here are the kids, and compassion will come to people like us in countries like ours and say, spend $38 a month, sponsor one of these kids who need Jesus in this very impoverished country, and help this kid to eat, to get clean water, to get medical care, to get educated, and provide an environment where they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So they're committed to setting the local church up for success. We love that about them. Um, Secondly, we love compassion. Because over 80% of the money that you donate each month goes directly to your compassion child. Like any organization, they have administrative costs, right? They have people that they pay to translate letters. They have people that they pay to work on the ground in these countries, indigenous people who are partnering with local churches and and doing what's required there to to find children who need sponsorships. But listen, when you think about this, you think about that over 80% of your 38 bucks a month goes straight to your kid, That's about $31, $32 a month. In Burkina, that's $6, $7 more than the average family's income for the month. So again, like Jonathan said earlier, you are doubling or more than doubling a family's income when you provide a sponsorship through compassion. And lastly, we love compassion Because they are committed to getting the good news of Jesus to children and their families. They're doing whatever it takes. And we love that they love the gospel. And they want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Now, if you're sitting here and you're going, well, James, how do you know all of this? It's simple. Um, I've worked with Compassion. I I traveled in November to Burkina Faso with Compassion along with a bunch of other pastors who this morning are doing Compassion Sundays at their churches And we saw compassion at work on the ground in Burkina. And we didn't just meet their people. We met people and we heard stories from children and from families about how compassion is impacting their lives. We saw kids, sponsored kids and unsponsored kids. And the difference between the education and the health and and just the way they were dressed. I mean, it's unbelievable the difference between a kid who's sponsored and who's not sponsored. Um, there's a picture I want to show you. We'll throw it up here. This guy, we met him in a village. He, he's part of a people group called the Fulani People. It's, about a, it's a people group, I don't know, 100,000 people, 99% Muslim. And we meet this guy, and his daughter's sponsored through compassion. Uh, this guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm calling him this guy, okay? So this guy here, he's a farmer. And again, farming is really, really tough in Burkina. Well, his daughter's sponsored They're writing letters back and forth to their family who's sponsoring his daughter, and they're sharing, his daughter's sharing with this family, man, it's tough. My family doesn't have enough food, and um, they experienced a drought a couple of years ago that killed literally millions of people due to lack of water and starvation. And so the family decides, we want to bless this guy. So here's what they did. They spent a few hundred bucks, and you know what they did? They bought him a cow. And they bought him a plow through Compassion International. And Compassion on the ground in Burkina went and purchased the cow and the plow and gave it to this guy as a gift from the family who's sponsoring his daughter. And here's what this man told our team he says, Because of that family's generosity and because of what Compassion has done for my family, I don't have to worry about anyone in my family starving to death anymore. We were hearing it from the guy's lips, and I'm sitting there going, What? An amazing thing, an amazing organization to be a part of. It's so simple. It only takes a little to make a huge, huge difference. And today, I want to give all of you the opportunity to give a little and make a big difference. Um, I want you to hear before we close and get ready to leave from a few former Compassion children themselves. And I want you to hear their stories and the difference Compassion has made on their lives. So I want you to turn your attention toward the screen. check this out
3: it was lunchtime we were sitting around a table and we were all holding hands and my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat but there was only one problem (laughs) our table was empty my earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five roaming the streets Eating from dumpsters, we were not able to have food at all.
4: We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime.
3: No running water. Rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs.
4: Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids
3: dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over.
4: One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body, that I just thought to myself that this can not be happening.
3: One day, my father was murdered right next to my mother, and I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation.
4: My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly, you will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me.
3: Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened.
4: One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she's the only Christian person that I know during that time, she woke me up and said that we have to go to this church, and she registered me.
3: What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. he and told me, you're my first friend outside my continent. She said, words like, Richmond, I love you and that lightened me up.
4: my sponsor told me michelle you are beautiful you are precious to us and we love you and the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul
3: 18 years later here i am a child rescued from hopelessness by a young person My life was changed. My life was changed. My life was changed by a teenager who sponsored me. One teenager changed my life. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act
4: saved my life.
3: Saved my life. life. Will you act? The choice is yours.
4: Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From
3: poverty. In, Jesus In
4: Jesus' name. In
3: Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
0: 38 bucks a month. A little investment to make a huge, huge difference. Um, On this table behind me, I just kind of wanted to paint a picture for us of what $38 a month looks like. Um, It looks like a a night of pizza, maybe for a group of people. It looks like, you know, I don't know, nine to 12 Starbucks coffees. Some of us, we do that in a day, right? Um, It looks like a night at Chick-fil-A with the family. Just 38 bucks a month. I'll share this with you to say this. There's none of us in the room who consider this, think about this, pray about this, right? Like we spend $38 a month, all of us, every single month like that, and we don't even question it. Um, I have movie tickets in my pocket. There's a lot of us who love to go to the movies, and we'll go to the movie, and we'll buy two tickets, and we'll buy drinks, and we'll buy popcorn, and some candy. We spent $38. It's expensive to go to the movies, right? And how many of us sit back and go, God, should we really go see this movie? And God, should we really buy the popcorn and drink? We don't, we just do it because we love it. Listen to me. Here's all I wanna say, and this is why I bring this up. This morning, for some of you who are sitting in your seat and you've heard all this and you've thought about it and you're going, I need to think about it some more, I need to pray about it some more, listen to me. This is not something we need to pray or think about. This is something we just need to do because God's told us to do it. If we love Jesus, people who are near to his heart should be near and dear to ours and so this morning, outside of our building, under the, the f- little front overhang, we got a table set up with packets filling these tables of kids from four different countries who need hope and need help. And I'm asking you, don't pray, don't think, don't consider. Just walk out there, spend $38, commit to spending it every single month to invest in the life of this kid and to see God make a big difference through that investment. 38 bucks a month. All I want to ask you to do is walk out there, look at the pictures of these kids' faces, pick one, pull the form out of it, fill the form out. You can attach a check if you want to, and Compassion will just take it out of your checking account on a monthly basis. If you don't have that, there's a spot on there for you to fill out your credit card information, debit card information. They'll deduct it from your account each month, and we're going to put those in the mail tomorrow, all those forms, get it to Compassion, and you should start hearing from them directly within 10 to 15 business days. So church... Listen, we're not gonna sing a song. We're not gonna pray in close. We're just gonna get out of our seats and we're gonna go act. Let's make a small investment and be a part of huge change in our world. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.